The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. The eleven disciples set out for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. When they saw him, they fell down before him, though some hesitated. Jesus came up and spoke to them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands I gave you. And know that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to um, take a page out of the book of Ephesians, especially that prayer that Paul read for us. It's a shame the scriptural Paul writes with such elongated, you know, grammar because he's just got these epically long sentences. <laughs> but but what's what's he saying? Because we need what he said to access what we're trying to access now. So listen again to this. This is our prayer. May God, the Father of glories and the Lord Jesus Christ, give you now in this moment, because we're going to recall something very mysterious but very important. May he give us the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of perception, to understand and to cling to what has been revealed about Christ and he enlighten our minds for the hope that we hold. It's regarding the the journey, if you like, that Jesus has made to us, through us, (laughs) with us, and, and where we are now. You've heard me say before that I think we are living in what I call a crisis of narrative And I mean a few things by saying that, but one thing that I mean is that we don't know where exactly in the story we are. And I mean that as broadly as you want. Um, I remember listening to Bishop Barron, he was talking about crisis and um, suffering and stuff, and he said, you okay? No, you're right. Um, That Barron was saying that um, if, if you found a shred of the Lord of the Rings, which is an epic work, you know, but you found the little shred where Sam and Frodo are on the foot, the foot of the Mount Mordor, and it's looking pretty horrible, you know, and they're on the verge of death, and they're thinking about the Shire that they're never going to see again, and they're about to give up and just waste away into nothing. If that's the only shred of the book you had, you think this is an awful book, you know, it sounds terrible. But obviously, that's like the lowest of lows before they actually triumph. And so in the contours of the story, it's actually a tremendously beautiful moment, even though it's, even though it's quite harsh. Um, well, I think the same could be said for us, where we experience things, maybe not us here, hopefully, but, but people at large, experience things, and their narrative is that big. It's like, I'm experiencing this, and it's hell. It's like, okay, yeah, like it is. Um, but in the, in the long, winding contour of the narrative... Praise God, like it's actually quite a beautiful, uh, fragile part of your story that we hold with a lot of honour. That's one thing that I mean by crisis of narrative. Um, There's other things I mean, but when we make sense of something, the mysteries of our faith are pretty, like we need a long arcing narrative to make sense of them. The ascension is one such thing. So I want us to draw a bit of an arc right now. If you were to draw the story of Jesus from start to finish, marking the major junctures, where does 
the story of Christ begin? And I suppose there's one of two places you could begin, or maybe a third place, but where, where would you begin this story of Christ? Where does it start? His birth. Fantastic. So Christmas, the incarnation. Um, that presupposes his eternal being, because while the flesh of Jesus became manifest at Christmas, we know him to be the Word, who is with God in the beginning, who was, who is God, through him all things were made, uh, for him, etc., etc. So you, you could say it started in eternity, and that would be okay. But yes, the flesh of Christ, Christmas. Okay, um, the story begins, and he grows up as a little kid has to, and he scrapes his knees, and has to be cradled by his mum and his dad, and you know, goes to Egypt and whatever. Where's the next major juncture of Jesus? Where would you put it? In the church. No? In the church. In the church? Okay. When he's in the temple? Yeah, cool. Cool. Um, it seems like a prequel to something more public, though. When does he burst into the public scene? And it's to do with his cousin. Yeah, okay, the wedding. Good. Good. I would have, I didn't think of that, but that's a good one. That's in John. See, John's trying to tell something different. In the other Gospels, it's the baptism. Mm-hmm. So the, the word is made flesh, and then eventually that flesh is baptized. Um, it's important that the flesh is not just some Nazarene guy, but really he's representative of everyone, isn't he? He's the new Adam. He's all flesh. And so his first public move is to regenerate that flesh, to baptize it to somehow kind of put it to death and bring it back to life again. He does that on behalf of all of us. Good. The next major juncture after his baptism, even though it's immediately after his baptism, you could say it's his testing in the desert. The story of Christ would be missing a major element if he didn't do that. He goes into the desert and in a definitive way, he battles the enemy. He writes all the wrongs that the original Adam did you know, in the Garden of Eden. Adam showed really distrust towards God, which led to disobedience, which led to a big rupture in their relationship, which never quite healed, you know. Um, they had to make this long, big... <laughs> that's an even bigger arc in a way. But, but Jesus goes into the desert to test human flesh, um, to, to do battle with the devil, to re-establish deep filial, not just friendship, but like a filial relationship with the Father. Um, in the desert, if you look at the discourse, Jesus doesn't invent stuff to say to the devil. He's not arm wrestling with him. The devil says something crafty, and Jesus just quotes Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's like, it is written this, it is written this, it is written this. In other words, it's not a kind of chess match, you know what I mean? Jesus goes there simply to be faithful to God in the presence of evil. And he wins. He vanquishes the foe. Um, then he comes out and he starts his public ministry. Now, in terms of his flesh, which is really the focus of today's Mass, if not every Mass, um, his flesh comes out of the desert a conqueror, and then he goes to gather, even more intentionally, all flesh to himself. And think of all the people he touched, metaphorically and literally. He didn't shy away from lepers. He didn't shy away from people who were ritually unclean because of blood stuff. He didn't shy away from people from foreign nations who were seen as despicable to the Jews. He didn't shy away from the super rich and powerful who were also despised by the Jews, by Romans, by Ethiopians, by anyone. Anyone who was there was his for the taking. 
in one of the readings here, it says he took many captives. It sounds kind of violent, but actually he's gathering them into the kingdom. His flesh does this. Finally, uh, towards the end of his ministry, as he's reaching the very climax of his earthly life, he's betrayed. His flesh, if you like, is betrayed by Judas. Um, Judas hands him over and he's arrested and he's tortured and he's killed. And he goes into the tomb. Um, and just note how real this is. I know this has been the big theme of our Easter celebrations. But there was nothing, even though there's a whole lot of symbol running through the story, there's also a whole lot of reality. <laughs> he was literally captured. He was literally betrayed by his friend. He was literally scourged and blood was just all over the shop. You know, it would have looked absolutely horrendous. Um, no wonder they ran away. You know, like, like his mum, who would have been in as much agony watching it, and his youngest disciple, John, were the only ones who could... And, and a handful of women as well, and thank God for them. Thank God for the women in the Gospels, honestly. Anyway, they were there staying with the flesh, the wounded and just wretched flesh of Christ. He says, I was like a worm, not a man. Think of where he started. And it's just been shredded through the course of his little earthly walk. And then he's put in a tomb. As real as all of the tombs we're going to be put in. Like we're all going to be buried in the ground one day. We may not like to think about it often, but it's true. That's, that's part of our narrative. That's something that prior to Christ would have looked like the biggest full stop at the end of your journey, but it's not, is it? Because of Christ, because of the narrative of Christ, the grave is something that we hallow. It's somehow become a holy place. Imagine that. The grave of all places. A holy place. A place of hope. A place of promise. Whenever Jesus went to heal one of or raise one of the dead people, he said, oh, don't worry, she's just sleeping. He's just asleep. I'm going to wake him. Because for Jesus, death is as intimidating as going to rest. Something we do every single night. It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, finally he resurrects. And, um, and we've, we've been listening to that over the last few weeks. Where are we now then? What's the juncture? And we heard it in um, Acts. And we heard it in the Gospel as well. The resurrected Jesus has appeared to the followers. He's sort of bringing them out of their stupor because they've seen the very lowest and the very highest that anything could be, the death of God and then the resurrection of a, a dead, well and truly dead person. Um, and not just a resuscitation because we often say the dead, like look at Lazarus and stuff, they were raised, but they're going to die again. They weren't raised in the way Jesus was raised. Jesus is... Jesus is raised eternally, like he's not going to die again. Um, so he's awakening them to that reality, which is totally not what they expected. And finally, he comes and he gathers them where he said he would. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Now I'm sending you out with that authority to bring the whole world into this reality. Through the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, everything. Um, and it says, as he was speaking to them, he was taken up into the sky. And these two random figures in white are sitting there saying, why are you looking up there? <laughs> these angels. The angels always know what to say. Um, so where are we then in our story with Christ? We are the members of a body whose head has literally penetrated the veil, the veil of heaven. Like, like imagine the cosmic mystical body of Christ standing erect, you know, standing strong and straight. And we are his members collected up into his body and the head is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
That means part of your body, in a certain respect, is in heaven. Isn't that weird? Part of your body is literally just up there. It's the part that isn't you, in a way. It's the part that's Christ of, his, of himself. But you're part of that body. So you're in heaven. Um, Christ is attentive to your sufferings on earth. Think of what he said to Paul. Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? I can feel my people suffering. I can literally feel it. Stop it. Stop causing that suffering. He says, when you fed the hungry, when you gave drink, you gave drink to me. This is the ascended Jesus in whom we're gathered. It's awesome. It's really awesome. If that's okay, I think that's enough um, combing the landscape. But listen to these words from Ephesians. Paul read chapter 4, no, Paul read chapter 1 for us from the readings today. But this is from chapter 4. I want you to close your eyes and just let this vision fill your mind as Christ fills time and space. Paul says, and remember that image of taking captives to himself. It's not violence, it's love. I urge you, Paul says, I who am a prisoner because I serve the Lord, live a life that measures up to the standard God said when he called you. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. Show your love by being helpful to one another, etc., etc. Live the holy life. Each one of us has been given a special gift in proportion to what Christ has given. As scripture says, when he went up to the very heights, he took many captives with him. He gave gifts to men. Now what does he went up mean? It means that first he came down, that is down to the lower depths of the earth. So he who came down is the same one who went up above and beyond the heavens to fill the universe with his presence. It was he who gave gifts to us. He appointed some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others to be evangelists, and on and on, all the ministries we know. And so we shall all come together to that oneness in our faith and in our knowledge of the Son of God. We shall become mature, reaching the very height of Christ's full stature. Then we shall no longer be children carried by the waves and blown, by, blown about by every shifting wind. Under his control, all the different parts of the body fit together. And the whole body is held together by every joint with which it is provided. So when each separate part works as it should, the whole body grows and builds itself up through love. I've somehow lost the line I wanted to finish with. So let's prepare to meet our Lord in the sacraments as he promised. Thanks, Helen. Um, oh, there's something I was going to say. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if you, you feel this, but every now and then at Mass... 
the mass itself, it's like there was something there the whole time that you didn't realize, but on a particular day with a particular reading or whatever, you sort of correlate it and you're like, holy moly, that's buried in the mass. It's buried in every mass, you know? Um, well, that happens for me a lot. And, and maybe it's because I'm still, I still think I'm in really early days of ministry and I am. Um, but last week, when we were talking about, what was it the week before? It was about the sign of peace. Jesus breathed on his apostles, which is Pentecost. It's like Pentecost is buried in every single mass. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. You know, like, and then, we, and then it goes out. That's in every single mass. It struck me today as I was, literally as I was like ascending the, the host, the ascension is in every mass. Think about it. Like, and, and I had to laugh because it was like, maybe I shouldn't have been thinking this, but I was like rationalizing how silly of an idea it was. And I was like, no, even, even the mechanics of how that bread is lifted up is, is ascension-esque because Jesus ascends by his own power, unlike Mary who's assumed, like Jesus is up there and he assumes her. But Jesus lifts himself, if you like, into heaven. And what am I doing except operating in the person of Christ, raising this body in your presence? Really, really cool. So it's like the ascension itself is at every single mass if, if we want it to be, if we have the eyes to see. Anyway, I've spoken heaps, so let's pray. <laughs>